Welcome to another episode of Direct Connect here with Archer. I'm Mark Bromstead, Senior Vice President of Client Relationship, and with us is Nick Weber and Brian Carr, both managing partners here at Archer. Hello, Nick. Hello, Brian. How are you? Hey, how you doing? Doing great. Hey. Well, today we're going to talk about kind of all things uh, incident response planning related, um, whether that's organizationally, how to execute them, kind of just uh, we're going to kind of hit the gamut of uh, of what's on people's minds as it relates to IRPs, incident response plans, eminent. Um, you know, maybe first thing for folks, uh, for Nick and Brian, if you guys want to just kind of share with what you're seeing out there in the industry on incident response plans, how how clients are thinking about them, how their organizations are aligning around them. Um, you know, I guess just pontificate a little bit about what you've seen out there. Out there. Yeah, I guess most of what I'm seeing is, um, I don't know how to say it politely. It's not great. Um, it's a lot of looking back at what's already been happening, um, or a lot of doing exactly what the compliance regulations tell, tell them to, um, not seeing a whole lot of kind of imagination or what could go wrong. Um, not seeing a lot of the vulnerability assessments tied into it as well. Just kind of a, a segmented approach, which is, I think where you get a lot of that failure of imagination around it. Yeah, I'll echo the failure of imagination, um, especially on the incident response plan, since they're not obviously something you're activating on any kind of routine basis. Um, it becomes very easy to pull it off the shelf and, yeah, like you said, run through the same exercise. Um, you know, sure, there's value in simply running through the, the mechanics of it, but um, actually updating it, kind of as Nick was saying, you know, and, and trying to come up with more current or recent scenarios um, a lot of those things, it, it could be considerably more beneficial if you just put a little bit of imagination into it, right? Um, so, yeah, very, very, very similar things, Nick, as you mentioned. Some of those clients that are, are doing well or, you know, it's, it's you know, tough to give a grade sometimes for, for activities like these. Um, but for those, for, those, uh, for those folks in the industries, whether it's oil and gas, electric, or any other um, uh, any other type of organization when the, when they're doing well what, what does that framework look like what do they what path do they go down to to, to execute on them but usually they, they've started with some sort of business impact analysis or, or some of pieces of that they really identified what they have to be able to do day in day out to to complete their core mission and they they build out from there they don't start with how do we keep everything running at 100%, they start with what's the core mission and build off of that. Um, Brian, I'm not sure what else you've seen, but. Well, yeah, and I think that that's, I know we're talking about, you know, guys that do it good. Um, that's actually one of the key areas that a lot of people get hung up on in that business impact analysis, because typically in a lot of organizations, there's, there's the loud voices, you know, that kind of overpower and say, hey, my area is more important than, you know, Joe's area over here. And so there's, it distracts not only from the overall approach, but it kind of steers the company in potentially the wrong direction and putting emphasis in the wrong areas. Um, so, so I think the ones that are doing it good are, are really taking a holistic look at the organization and, you know, asking themselves, what if this goes away? What happens? What if this, you know, what if this is unavailable, what happens? What's the real impact? Not, 
not what a you know overzealous manager or somebody thinks the impact is, but really having a way to evaluate what is the true impact to you know customer service, whether that's you know one of those criteria, whether it's financial or otherwise, of really having some good criteria to evaluate that against, because otherwise it's just left to the masses to whoever's the loudest voice gets the most attention, and that may not be the right course. So understanding the, the business impact analysis, what about the risk assessment as well? Um, do you think folks take a true and honest risk assessment prior to developing their plans? Yeah, I'd say 50-50, you know, based on what I've seen to actually do it. And again, it, at least from what, from what I've seen, Nick, you, you can certainly chime in on risk assessments. That's another one that can get very arbitrary uh, and or be very influenced by the wrong factors or the wrong people, you know, in the organization and can really skew that in a certain direction. So awareness around that. Um, but, but yeah, I'd, I'd say 50, 50 on who's actually doing it beforehand versus, uh, you know, those that aren't, I don't know. What do you see, Nick? Yeah, I'd, I'd see very similar kind of building off of yours a little bit. Who, where does it come from? I guess. Um, and is it rooted in the business strategy, the business mission, vision, those pieces, or is it rooted in personality? Um, yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's a great way to put it. For those organizations that may be smaller, maybe they're just really starting to mature their cybersecurity focus, or maybe folks just want to get a fresh look at incident response plans, how would you tell them to start? Um, <clears throat> first thing, you got to know what you've got. That's the, the, the basic to, to all of this. Um, one of the things that one of our clients likes to say a lot is we protect our gold like gold and pencils like pencils. The, the tough question is, okay, what's gold and what's pencils? And that's where you get as many different answers as you have people in the conversation. So yeah, that's, that's the tricky part. That's the hard part to get your arms around because it can get really abstract. And, and you well, can sure then, it. No, go ahead. No, I say the next thing you know, you've got golden pencils and it kind of – Wait, is that look at my supply drawer again, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent point. Yeah. What do you got? What really, what really matters? Yeah. What do you got? What do you need? Those are the, the two big things that, um, really just honestly kind of similar to having conversations with my almost 13 year old. What do you want to have and what do you need to have? And those are two <laughs> different things. Um, it's very similar. Uh, you win some, you lose some. Someday I'm going to win one. <laughs> Excellent. I know in some of the conversations that we've had, it's also start out in a realistic fashion. Start small as well. You, know, you don't have to. You know, you don't have to run uh, scenarios, create scenarios. Uh, you don't have to restore everything all at once. Um, Nick, you and I talked about this a little bit. It's, it's start small, or at least start in with something that's attainable within your organization. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the uh, executing a 70% plan is far better than waiting forever for the 100% plan. I think that's kind of the, the starting point because once you get into some of this, you're really going to learn so much your first few iterations that are going to really help you drive and, and complete the plan. So even if you don't have a complete incident response plan that hasn't been signed off by everybody, that doesn't mean you can't exercise it. Uh, in fact, I would say you should be exercising as you build it. That's interesting. I'd hopefully not uh, jumping ahead, Mark, on you know some of the topics or discussion points, but that exercise I've seen um, far too many folks and organizations, they're afraid 
to do a meaningful exercise because the outcome may not be favorable. Um, and this speaks to executive support, you know, wh whatever the top cover is, um, you know, they're afraid of, of repercussions or, you know, there being issues that th those kind of things need to be need to be put to bed, you know, and, and understood that the exercise is intended to ferret out the issues and, and where are those weaknesses and those are okay. Um, cause it's certainly better to do it in an exercise than, you know, in an actual, you know, activation of that plan. So, um, I, I, I would say the majority, if not the vast majority of, of clients that I've seen, there's, there's this underlying fear of, oh, we can't, discover we can't fig, you know find too many things that are broken because we'll be in trouble um absolutely the wrong mentality uh you know unfortunately that that tends to run rampant that hey we just want to you know rubber stamp this thing and it needs to be all you know fairies and rainbows and whatever and it looks great you know that's all management wants to see that doesn't benefit anybody yeah um yeah. so yeah emperor has no clothes it's a good yep. story to remember on all of this and I would say in a scenario, if you didn't break something, not physically, just not physically or not, not logically, but if you didn't break something in your planning process, I question how valuable that time was spent was. Great point. Brian, you mentioned it kind of at the top of the conversation, and Nick, you and I have talked about it uh, offline. Um, how often should you be testing and putting your plans through their paces? You know, some some have a compliance arm, like in the electric utility space, and, you know, they'll may sign up for to do it annually. Um, but what would you, how, how do you talk to clients about it outside of, you know, the compliance obligations? Yeah, I think and Nick mentioned this before. Um, I think there's this uh, kind of running understanding or assumption that you have to test the entire plan, you know, whether it be once a year or however often. And the reality is there's portions of it maybe that you can carve out to do very, very specific or targeted tests. Um, at least once a year is, I, I would say, the, the minimum but again, I'm not thinking holistically like the entire plan, you know, front to back page, but are there quarterly exercises that can be run that relate to specific areas or specific sections or whether it's by business unit or however, you know, things are structured, um, break that up to make it a little more bite sized instead of having one major exercise where it's the cast of Ben-Hur has to be, you know, on the call and, you know, standby 24 seven, you know, where's people out and, you know, it's a lot, definitely a lot harder to organize and you end up with a bunch of personalities we've talked about, but if you can kind of break it up into bite-sized chunks, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, I know it's not always possible, but um, certainly, yeah, it, yeah, at least once a year, you don't want that thing to become stale. Um, and with kind of the threat environments and everything that's going on in the world, it's rapidly changing. And your plan from a year ago may not, you know, may not adequately address your needs uh, you know, in the case of expansion or otherwise, there's, there's just a lot of moving parts to it that need to be, uh, updated on a kind of, you know, on a more regular basis. Yeah. I would say the, your cast of Ben Hur one is the, your, your annual or maybe every other year capstone where you yeah. put it all together. That's but good. Yeah. I had this friend who used to run marathons and, and he ran a lot before he ever got to race day. Race day was the easy day, but <laughs> <clears throat> It's, it's very similar, though. I mean, if you're not using it, you're going to lose it. It's muscle memory, knowing where to go, knowing how to do those. It doesn't have to be everything. You're not going and running 26.2 every day, but you're doing something. Yeah. And not to mention, 
you know, the amount of turnover we've seen in a lot of organizations, you got a lot of new faces, new folks, new skill sets who a year ago, it may, you may have an entire organization that's, you know, shifted one way or another. Um, that's a, that's a big factor in it as well, uh, to not, not let that part of it get stale either. That's a great point, especially with the, the what we're seeing now in the, in many industries is the, the higher turnover rates and, and at some key positions, or at least those positions that didn't have uh, turnover in the past. And yeah. so some of that institutional knowledge is walking out the door. That tribal knowledge uh, is no longer exists. So if it's not on paper, um, so the incident response plans are becoming even more important to be more detailed than maybe they needed to in the past because you had really smart tenured individuals who could do some heavy lifting without a lot of direction. Now you've got newer folks in there who, you know, don't know who the right first person to call is at times because, well, they just walked in the door in their role. Um, the other thing, I, I've had a, a couple of uh, clients who um, have actually spent time uh, being peers with um, their their neighboring um whether it's a neighboring utility, neighbor, neighboring oil and gas, or critical infrastructure type client, and they, they're sitting in on each other's incident response plans to learn from them. You know, some of the technology and who, but the, the process, the playbooks, you know, they don't always need, necessarily need to start from square one. I don't know if you guys have uh, witnessed any of that recently, more than in the past. No, we've recommended it a lot. I haven't seen a lot of it. Um... Uh, even when I was at Grant trying to do some of that coordination was was a heavy lift, even though it was a hour drive away to get to see two of our neighbors. But glad to see that because it's good to learn from somebody else's mistakes. Absolutely. Yeah, and be, I mean, Brian like learns that. from mine every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the way, marathon people are weird, so they're not they're not a bunch. Um, I, I think one of the one of the parts of reluctance, one of the things that kind of prevents that is, is, you know, wanting to share information. There's, there's still uh, a lot of caution, you know, and, and rightfully so to an extent, but a lot of folks, a lot of organizations, whether it's in or out of critical infrastructure, you know, they're, they're having to share some, some details about their organization that, you know, maybe they're either not comfortable with or management doesn't support it as so. So, um, it's, it's enormously beneficial. So to your point, Mark, it, it, there, there can be enormous benefits to, you know, sitting in on other exercises or doing joint exercises, what, whatever that may be, but you definitely got to lay kind of that groundwork. And I go back to executive support every time, um, you know, to understand that, Hey, yeah, we're going to, we're going to tell them about things about organization that, you know, aren't going to leave the room, but you're going to have other people outside of organization who know some of these particular details or, uh, you know, how we approach certain things. So getting over that, uh, that reluctance, that hump of, of uh, afraid of sharing too much um, could go a really long ways to, to bettering everybody's, everybody's plans. Yeah. One of the other things to consider on that is the perception or, or in some cases the actual regulation around kind of the marketing side or, and that was one of the things years ago when I did an assessment down in Hawaii with a bunch of the oil and gas companies they were reticent to get in the same room together unless there was uh, state or federal officials there just because it looked like maybe they were price fixing. Yeah. Um, so another another thing that you may not even consider, but it wouldn't surprise yeah. me at all when I was at Grant if the three mid-Columbia utilities got together on something like that and one of the, the people with a, a conspiracy looking to pedal decided it was because they were price fixing to raise rates. Yeah. The, what, 
three of the five lowest in the country, but that's don't let truth get away with a good story. <laughs> so another thing to keep in mind when you're doing that is just making sure you're maybe that's a good time to bring in your local emergency management or county or state. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. It could be a great opportunity to have a somewhat independent third party right there to yep. be part of it and help facilitate even. Maybe the last thing I'd want to mention or talk about is the importance of, of being involved in some of the industry things like uh, in the electric utility space, uh, you've got GridX. Nick, you've been uh, very vocal about GridX and folks being involved with it. Maybe share some of your thoughts on you know what you've seen from from different utilities out there uh, taking part or not taking part as well. Um, yeah, GridX has been, since its inception, I was able to be kind of in the white cell, the control cell for the very first one. Uh, it was enlightening for everyone involved, um, particularly the the feds, which I was one at the time, and NERC, to hear some of the things and see what was happening and see how little communication was, was actually going on and the drivers behind that. Um, it was also obvious to see who had the resources to fully participate. Um, and that's kind of a short list, realistically. Uh, it's one of the things I know we're really trying to work on is help bridge that gap and working with some folks at the ISAC to to help the utilities that maybe don't have a full-time exercise department or, or uh, the ability to facilitate full participation, actually be able to jump in and do something actionable instead of just watching and trying to learn from, from those who do. Um, I remember the, the one story I remember from the first one was just absolutely floored everyone in the room um, when the, the lead controller on the exercise was seeing what was happening, was seeing that nobody was reporting to the ISAC called one of the players and said, hey, how come you're not reporting that? And he said, we're waiting on general counsel to approve that release. <laughs> um, and the people, some of the people in the room were not the people in the room you wanted to hear that. It was just, they, they didn't get elected, but they worked on the Hill. Um, that was a painful, that's, I think we're still seeing uh, echoes of that today with on the, the NERC SIP side with SIP 8 around reporting. It's, that created a zombie, honestly. I don't know that's yep. ever going to completely go away. Because that was the wrong thing to say at the wrong time. Yeah. And if your lawyers are involved in your incident response, then just start your recovery. I mean, if yeah. you're worried about that, then you're not responding. Yeah, it's be too late. Interesting. And I know, you know, some of the things that we've talked about um, offline as well um, is getting that, making this part of your strategy, your, your, your overall staffing strategy, because there's so much that you need to do that is, uh, point in time uh, when you're doing these uh, when you're doing these exercises that you can't run your business and execute on these plans. There's there's staffing companies out there. There's consulting companies out there that you can partner with to uh, to bring resources in to to lead the exercises, supplement your workforce while they execute the exercises or, you know, even something as simple as uh, supplementing your workforce while you take take part in GridX. Um, all things that uh Again, have to be part of your overall security strategy, and with strategy comes money. So you always have to think through each of those things and the level of importance um, to you and your organization. Yeah, very true. Nick, are you uh, are you suggesting somebody start up a GridX Light? Or um, no, I, honestly, no, <laughs> I would not. Just, I would say not reinventing the wheel. Um, what yeah. I would actually like to see is just more of the, the utilities who don't have the ability to come play at the, the full participation level, speak up and say, here's what I would need for that. Mm, yeah. And, and be, be forthcoming rather than just being real quiet. 
Right. Nobody wants to be the one that says they need help with their homework. Very but true. the reality of it is, what, 3,600 plus or minus registered entities, and you're looking at probably a dozen who can really fully plug into yeah. that, maybe 20 on a good year. So yeah. part of that is just trying to, to make sure we can meet them where they are. Um, that's one of the things we've been working on. Mark, we've been talking about it for about a year now and, and slowly getting there now that we're about a year out for the next grid X of, of how do we help smaller yeah. utilities or, or those who maybe they've got new people in there. How do we help bridge that gap? Whether it's helping write a scenario that fits into the grid X one. So you can pull up the, the, the mock news stories and have it still feeding in down yeah. to, do you need somebody to facilitate because everybody you would use to facilitate are going to be your hands on keyboard or going to be out checking things at substations, um, putting that plan together and figuring out what's right for you. Is it sitting down and table topping along with grid X or is it actually sending people out to to switch or to look at substations or failing over to your backup control centers or, or what does that look like? Um, setting up your training uh, area to run through it with your operators. A lot of different ways you can go with it. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. Um, kind of getting back to the exercise. It doesn't always have to be the, the cast of Ben-Hur. Um, yeah. And Mark, I don't want, I don't want your comments to get lost, but absolutely the prioritization of that. Um, you know, again, I'll harp on executive support. I mean, that, yeah, it means money. Um, and it's, you know, people call it, look at it like insurance, you know, you're paying it and, you know, in the hopes you don't have to use it. Um, but yeah, the last thing you want as an executive is to be, is to get that call that, you know, something's been compromised and we have no way, you know, we don't have the resources, we don't have the know-how, we don't have the, the equipment or anything to, you know, recover from it. Um, that's, that's not the position you want to be in from any standpoint, you know, and it, it really in any industry. Um, so it's, it takes executive support. It takes, it takes making it a point of emphasis in the organization to, to really push it forward. Yeah. And it's really going to be less expensive than, than most people are going to think. Um, yeah. to have somebody come in and just put together some scenarios, run the exercise and give them a report here in the lower five figures on that one. Um, yeah. barely into it, honestly, for yeah. a lot of firms. So that's not a real high bear, uh, bar to entry. Um, I think it was probably in the range that I could have approved it as a manager at, at my utility. So don't, don't go in there thinking you're going to need to ask for half a million dollars to do this. Uh, it's a matter of just helping get help run an exercise. I don't want to say it's, it's it can be found in the couch cushions, but maybe the couch and the chair. I don't know. <laughs> Well, again, you know, it's about creating your strategy, creating your plan around your strategy. Um, and while you can do all of that, don't get to analysis paralysis. Just start. Start doing your exercises. Yeah. Start creating your documentation um, and and make it part of your, your constant effort. Um, yeah. You know, with that, you know, Nick, Brian, thank you guys for your time. Uh, Absolutely. Another wonderful conversation. We could probably dive much deeper on yeah. many of these individual topics, but uh, yeah. and uh, I'm sure we will end up coming Direct Connect. So thank you for joining another Direct Connect with our trip. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Not only is Direct Connect available to listen to, you can also watch each episode on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Archer News Network. If you're interested in who we are and what we do, head on over to our website at archerint.com. That's archerint.com. You can also follow us on our social media platforms, Archer International on Facebook, 
Archer Energy Solutions LLC on LinkedIn at Archer underscore INTL on Twitter. Thanks for listening and check back every other week for brand new episodes.